Well, hello, everyone. I'm James Dobson, and this is Family Talk. I have the privilege today of interviewing a charming lady that I've known for a year and a half, I think. And uh, she is just a great woman of God and surely loves her, too. And um, our listeners are going to enjoy getting acquainted with her. Her name is Judy Squire, and uh, her husband is David. Um, They've been married for 45 years, and he's uh, here in the studio with us, but he's going to let Judy do the talking. Uh, Judy is the mother of three grown daughters. Uh, who are all married, and uh, she has a master's degree in speech therapy. Um, Judy has written two books that we're going to be talking not about but around. Her story is in these books. And uh, so, uh, Judy, I'm so delighted that you could come be with us today. You aren't as delighted as I am, Dr. Dobson. (laughs) I met you at a conference in California and I just knew you're my kind of lady. And uh, ah. I want to go all the way back to the beginning of your life when you were born. And let's talk about your story because your story has touched a lot of people and it has touched my heart as well. Uh, so is that okay? Is uh, Can great. we do that? All right. Uh, let's talk about your birth then and your arrival in the delivery room and what happened at that time. I think the um, obstetrician wished that he'd been off duty because in 1945 there were no ultrasound tests, so he had no forewarning that I would arrive without legs and a deformed left hand. So as I slipped through the... Um, birth canal, his knees started knocking because he knew he had to tell my parents that they had a broken baby. Didn't he say something like, uh, she's going to live, which is a shame, or something like that? What did he say? Dad would often talk about how the obstetrician stumbled into the waiting room and said, Reverend Ryder, your daughter is going to live, I'm sorry to say. Why would a physician say something like that? I never got to ask him, but it just was his gut response. He had no hope or high expectations for my life. It shows a lack of appreciation for the sanctity of human life, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, show me your hands. All right. You have one hand that has five fingers on it, four fingers and a thumb, and the other one has two fingers and a thumb. That was part of the deformity, too. Yes. The left hand was webbed, and so it um, was always in the background. Uh, Your mother was not allowed to even see you for three days. How come? They were afraid to bring me to her, so she was frantic. What mother wouldn't be when you've just delivered a baby and have not been introduced to her yet? So mom was, I think she bore the brunt of my birth defect. But even that day they brought me in, mom says that I turned over in the nurse's nervous arms, which gave her hope, 
and that my big brown eyes jumped out at her and wrapped themselves around her heart. My goodness. Uh, it was a genetic um, It was not genetic. It was not it genetic. It was something that happened during the first trimester. And, and nobody knows what. Nobody knows what. It still happens today. It's called phycomelia. And um, God has told me it was not a fetal fluke. It was holy design. And you accept that. Boy, when you hear that in your spiritual ears, you accept it. God made you just the way he wanted you for a purpose. Right. Yeah. You never bonded a lot with your mother for a reason. Explain why. I think she was wounded. I think we also had um, personalities that weren't easily meshed, but we did bond later in life when she was near her 90s and she was in a wheelchair and we became pals then. After all those years, After you connected all those at last. Years, it was God's gift. You took care of her at the end, didn't oh, you? Oh, I went back and visited her. My sister took care of her. And it was just a precious gift that we were able to finally connect. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk about the past, but we were able to connect. But you found love and care from your father. And from my mother, But my father was the one who was the champion. And that's so rare in families with a disabled child. So often the father fades out of the picture. Yeah. Uh, Talk about the surgeries you had, and there were many. Uh, Your legs were amputated at one point. I was born without knees and um, just a little stub of a leg, and each little stub had a deformed foot. And Shriners Hospital did all my surgeries, and they gave my parents the choice. If I wanted to wear artificial limbs, they would amputate the deformed feet, and then I would be able to walk in artificial limbs, and that's what we did. So at age, well, that was a serious decision. I guess I knew my parents were trustworthy, and we had all the faith in the world in the surgeons at Shriners, and so it was a glorious day when we got the call that I would be admitted, and I was in there for six months and walked out on my first set of artificial limbs. Now, for some reason, the hospital did not allow you to have many visits with your parents. No. And when you would have surgery, they got a postcard saying that you were having surgery, but they weren't there to support you. Explain why. I mean, I choked up when I read that. I have no explanation except they felt like if they pulled the child away from the family, they could be our strength. And it was wonderful. That's not the way it's designed. I know. know. But we loved it at Shriners. Once we said bye-bye to mom and dad, they had us in school, and we bonded a a dorm uh, um, award full of 16 girls. We had girlfriends for the first time in our lives. So we became a family And the nurses were my best friends. So it was an outstanding experience, but 
what would you say as a psychologist? It impacted the bonding yeah, that the you have with yeah yeah. What were those six months like? Uh, did your parents come at all? Did they come they, when invited? How often were they, they there? Visiting hours were from one until four o'clock on Sundays. So they were there. Once a week. Once a week. You could not see them during the week? No. That I don't understand that. I do hope they don't do that now. They don't. They don't. It's like any hospital now. The parents can sleep in the room. They've changed it. Did you feel lonely? I think you felt lonely, especially the night before surgery. You thought, oh, mama, where are you? Yeah. Um, Judy, I I read that your earliest memory was at two years of age. Describe that for us. As a two-year-old, I was in a crib in a ward with other children, and I remember looking through the rails of this crib at an empty chair. And the empty chair, I'm sure, made me feel lonely. But as I've written my stories in His Majesty and Brokenness. That's one of your books. One of my books. That's the first one, isn't it? The first book. I recognize that that chair was occupied 24-7 by Jesus Christ. But you didn't know that at the time. No. You found it out later that Jesus had been with you the whole way. And I would say my childhood and teen years were a wilderness. I'm sure he was there, but I didn't recognize his presence. Mm -hmm. So writing has served me well because... When you write a story, you live it a second yeah, time. That's right. Yeah. Describe for us what your self-concept was in those early years. Did you grieve over uh, the differences between you and children who were not disabled? I uh, had a sister three years older, and I watched her do all the things that I couldn't do. So I lived life vicariously through my sister. And Was you there do, jealousy there? I don't think it was jealousy as much as inferiority yeah. and feeling like I was the loser. But even yeah. that, God turned that around while I was watching her have all the fun. She was watching me and saw something in my life that was missing on her social calendar. And so later on, she became a Christian. Did she play a role in you giving your heart to the Lord? No. When I became a Christian, she didn't want to hear anything about it. So uh, families are just such a complex yes. mystery. Well, yours was interfered with from my perspective, and it had to have been a whole lot more difficult than it should have been. I mean, separating a child from from mother and dad, I mean, that uh, it comes with a lot of baggage just uh, in its own way. Uh, I want to come back to your relationship with Christ, but uh, first uh, talk about um, not being allowed to go to school. Public schools would not admit you. Why? Right. Insurance. I was an insurance risk. So they, there would never was 
even the option of stepping through the door of the school that was three blocks away. So there was an experimental orthopedic program probably 13 miles away, and we all were segregated. We all, meaning other children with similar disabilities. And the disabilities, the fact that we had physical disabilities put us all in the same room, no matter what our intellectual capabilities were. So we had one teacher for third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. And so if we went in there with any intellectual potential, it died. Well, there was nothing wrong with your mind. We can see that uh, now. Uh, Were you with uh, mentally disabled children? I don't remember them. I think we all were within about 50 points on the IQ test. So I don't know where those children were. There were no Downs children then in that room. Yes. Well, that's a sad story in itself, and we will get to that. But there aren't a lot of Downs children being born today. I know. Because they are aborted, and I grieve for them. Those are some of the most beautiful, wonderful, loving individuals you'll ever want to meet. And yet we're killing them. I hear you. Hand over a hanky. I need one on this topic. Yeah, me too. We'll we'll talk some more about that, too. Uh, So you were in the orthopedic school for how long? From first grade on till eighth grade. And it was housed in the high school. So then we just went on and went to the classes with the able-bodied students. But we struggled because we did not have a good foundation. Uh, You had the same friends, were the same individuals with you year by year by year. And they're still friends today. Are they? Did you make a lot of friends there? Well, there were 13 of us only. And um, we Facebook and we've had a reunion But even the teacher admitted that it was a trial program and it was a failure. Why? Probably because shortly after that, the disabled were mainstreamed, not segregated, and because academically we suffered. Um, Because you had a teacher covering too wide a, a range of topics. One teacher, no aides, so one teacher for 13 students in a third to eighth grade yeah. academia. What year was that? That was in the 50s. So well, that a lot and I, has changed for the better hasn't since it? then. Judy, if I had interviewed you when you were in the sixth grade, uh, it, it would go something like this. Let's role play together, okay? okay. All right. Uh, Judy, tell me who you are. Who are you really? I'm a crippled girl. Is that what you would have said? Yes. If I would have said, what does life hold for you? What do you think the future will be like? I expect to spend my whole life with my parents. Maybe when they go home to the Lord, my sister will take me. But I don't expect to have a life. Are you sad? Mm-hmm. I'm sad telling you this. Yeah. No one ever asked me that before. Come on. 
Nobody ever asked you that then or now? Ever. Judy, those are very reasonable questions. Do you, I'm back role-playing again, do you, uh, do you blame God for what happened to you? I think I did then because I couldn't figure out why I was missing out. But as an adult looking back, I can see his footprints and his plan. Yeah. Uh, I read that some members of the local church came to visit your home and said that this disability had resulted from the sin of your parents. Did that really happen? Yes. My dad was the pastor. What a cruel thing to say to people. He was the pastor, and they were his elders. And they didn't come to see the new baby. They came to accuse him. Of what sin? I don't know. They didn't ask what the sin was. They just said, you're in big trouble, and, and your child is the consequence. Were they saying that repentance was necessary or that uh, there was some grievous uh, fault, uh, sin, that God is holding against you and your family? Dad never told that part. He just told about what the obstetrician said. He told about what the elders said. So He, he told you that? That should never have reached your ears. Oh. You were mismanaged at every stage. Hell! Uh, yeah. You needed somebody to put their arm around you and say, Judy, you're a child of God. Mm. You are loved. He has a plan for you. You were allowed to live because he's got a job for you to do. You're not a second-class citizen. Mm. You are a child of the king. Did anybody ever say that to you? I don't think I heard those words until I was 20 when my aunt led me to Jesus. But my family was so wounded. Yeah. My dad grappled and shook his fists at God when I was less than a year old. What do you have in mind for our Judy Ann? So they were not in any position to yeah. be comforted they by the word. They were struggling, weren't they? They were struggling. Reeling. Well, I'm not accusing them either. I'm not uh, you know, I know you uh, aren't. trying to say hurtful things of them, but uh, they really needed help. They mm-hmm. desperately needed somebody that could guide them and somebody that could guide you. The two books that we have referred to that you have written are as follows. Uh, His Majesty and Brokenness by Judy Squire, uh, Finding God's Masterpiece in Your Missing Piece. Have you found it? Uh, I have. You're not bitter? Nope. I'm past that. And I don't even know if bitterness was allowed. We had to be stoic. But I've worked it through, and a lot of it has been because of Psalm 139. You were there, God, while I was being formed in utter seclusion. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life. I mentioned that scripture when you were in my office. I didn't know Mm -hmm. that was a favorite of yours. I might have guessed it. Uh, The title of the second book is Living in the Names 
of God. We're going to talk again, uh, Judy, uh, next time, and I would like you to tell me what the meaning of that title is. I could guess. And it's how 18 Hebrew names of God met me, and um, they bridged me to our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, His Majesty. Mm. And so that book is a lot of my adult experiences as a mom with three little children, which I know motherhood is a legs job. Mm. And so you can believe that I needed help, not just David Squire, who would come home from work exhausted and begin his real day, but from God himself. Judy, I said at the top of the program, you are a very special lady, and you are, and I appreciate your being here with us. We haven't finished your story there uh, today because I want to get your views on the sanctity of human life as well, and we will do that next time, but there's still more to your experience And uh, we'll pick it up right here next time. I'll be back. Thank you for coming all the way to Colorado Springs and uh, for David being here. He's sitting in the control room. I think he kind of roots for you, doesn't he? He sure does. Yeah, he's been married 45 years. You love that man? Can't live without him. In the early days, he had some doubts about you, didn't he? Oh, 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 yes, that one. (laughs) We'll talk about that next time, too. Okay, thank you, Judy. Thank you. Well, what a remarkable story shared by Judy Squire and our own Dr. James Dobson right here on Family Talk. Can you imagine being a little girl and facing all of those obstacles and roadblocks that Judy had to face? She is certainly a pillar of strength indeed. Well, be sure to tune in again tomorrow, and we will pick up right where we left off as we hear Dr. and Judy talk about her pivotal decision to give her life to Christ once she became an adult. Now, Judy is living proof that what might appear to be an insurmountable problem can actually be a building block from God, and we can receive and share His love in the process. You know, I'm reminded of these words from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. In the New International Version, we read, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Love one another indeed. Well, Judy Squire is certainly an extraordinary woman with a beautiful message that the love of God is available to all. Now, a topic that has been surfacing recently, especially as our culture gives it more attention, is the attack on gender. And this is one area where we certainly see the enemy at work as well. How do Christians effectively engage with and address this rising tide of transgenderism in our culture? Well, Dr. Owen Strawn has a unique understanding of the complexities involved. He's the author of a book called, What Does the Bible Teach About Transgenderism? And his insights can help deepen your perspectives on this crucial issue. Now, in collaboration with Dr. Strawn, our team here at the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute has compiled a wide range of helpful resources for you on this topic. You can access them easily right now when you go to drjamesdobson.org forward slash transgenderism. That's drjamesdobson.org forward slash the word transgenderism. 
If you enjoy listening to Family Talk each day, why not consider partnering with us to help strengthen families? One great way to do that is with a financial contribution. It helps us keep on the air every day, and every dollar you donate enables us to equip parents, educate kids, and strengthen marriages and families literally worldwide. Now, if you are led to donate online, simply go to drjamesdobson.org and you'll find all the information there. That's drjamesdobson.org. It's a very secure homepage that you can donate on. Now, if you'd like to donate over the phone, simply call our customer care team at 877-732-6825. They're standing by ready to speak with you, to receive your gift, and to pray with you and pray for you if you need that. Again, the number to call is 877-732-6825. And if you'd like to send a donation through the U.S. mail, simply write to our ministry mailing address, which is the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute, P.O. Box 39000, Colorado Springs, Colorado, the zip code 80949. All of us here at the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute appreciate your prayers and faithful financial support. We love to hear from you as well. So whether you're sending us something through the mail or over the phone or online, your prayers, comments, and questions are all greatly appreciated. Again, our ministry mailing address is the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute, P.O. Box 39000, Colorado Springs, Colorado, the zip code 80949. I'm Roger Marsh, and on behalf of Dr. Dobson and the entire team here at Family Talk, thanks so much for listening today. May God continue to richly bless you and your family as you grow deeper and stronger in your relationship with Him. And be sure to join us again next time right here for another edition of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. This has been a presentation of the Dr. James Dobson Family Institute.